I hope that the prism peeping through the rift in the clouds makes its way to the town where we live. All of our dreams are beginning to take shape. And look, the globe of your heart is softly shining. Bye-bye, my crisis. I want to share my loneliness with you at the scenes where so many memories are heaped. For the sake of a tomorrow more certain than yesterday, I want to try spreading wide my invisible wings. I am Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris. I don't know why we're watching this <laughs> by me. And today we're going to talk about bubblegum crisis question mark here on John Lewis. <laughs> Welcome to the second half of our bubblegum crisis coverage, and it's. I'm glad we broke it into two parts because there's. It is definitely a show of two halves. Let's 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 start there. <laughs> so I can honestly say, this is the first time I've ever watched all of Bubblegum Crisis. Yeah, same actually. Because there were three episodes here, maybe two that I know that I have never seen before in my entire life. So much so that I even dropped this joke in Discord that when I started uh, like episode, what was it, like five, Midnight Rambler, mm-hmm. I had to stop uh, Retro Crush and make sure I was watching Bubblegum Crisis to then restart it and stop it one more time to make sure and then restart it. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm with you. Like, I I think I maybe have seen Red Eyes. I think maybe I've seen Midnight Rambler. But, like, in my head, the entire show is, like, the first three episodes. And this is definitely... You could see that there was a long time between episodes because these things... I mean, for, I would argue for good and bad, but certainly there's a, a strong change. Not quite the level of Robotech, but certainly Robotech-esque. It it felt more like this was a series of ideas for other shows and they made them individual pilots. Kind of what I want to say Highlander season six did, Murder, She Wrote season, I think six also, um, had just like where they would fill in their season with lots of almost one-off episodes. And they would have the titular characters come for maybe five, three minutes and go, hello. This is still my show. And that person would walk off and then you'd have all these new people and their misadventures. And if it hit, that would be suddenly become a pilot show. It, it actually, this is of course a very specific example that also nobody who knows me will be surprised by. But um, there is a cartoon called Brave Star uh, about a cowboy and his robot horse in the future doing cowboy and robot horse stuff. Would you be surprised that I know what Brave Star is? Well, that that part doesn't surprise me. What there is an episode of Brave Star where Sherlock Holmes just shows up because of reasons, and that was actually a backdoor pilot for the show that became Sherlock Holmes in twenty second century. And it was the same thing. It's like we don't know what to do, so we're gonna do a Sherlock Holmes show, and kind of jam it into this Brave Star show, and then see what happens. And it actually apparently hit reasonably well with the audience, so they did a show that has nothing to do with that episode at all. It was so changed that there's no connection between those two, which seems and I'm not saying, And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just noting the stark unexpectedness of it when we started it. 
Like, boom. And it so took a minute to get into it. Yeah, actually, let's, 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 let's get into it. And uh, 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 let me go through my notes, which I know you have comments on. So before we started, I, Eddie and I, for the second season, we, we've become, I want to say, we're growing into the podcast. I'm only doing it because Eddie started doing it. We have like a little paragraph of notes or maybe like 10 bullet points that we might want to hit throughout, throughout a show. Mm-hmm. And so we're a little bit of a break because I started a new job. So I've got like commute and we're actually recording at a different time at night now. So much so that I've got a glass of scotch with me. So maybe gay Ooh. for recording at night. And since there's been a break since we recorded these, I came in. I expected, all right, Eddie will have a couple paragraphs. I'll, I'll read those so I can try to remember what the show is. That I have no idea what we're watching. And instead, there are 40 pages of notes about <laughs> Bubblegum Crisis, the second half. Like, just literally goes on and on. I'm like, I can't even skim these for tips that I could try to use throughout our podcast. So know that Eddie cares about all of you infinitely more than I do, because I would have showed up like no notes. It just like riffed it. In my defense, it is only eight pages. <laughs> but kind of against me, it is eight pages of notes. But so much happens in these episodes, and I, I had to try to keep track of it. Um, because each one's a new pilot episode. Right, right, right. All right, I'm done. I won't, I won't say new pilot episode again, except I just said new pilot episode again. Dang you it, don't... I just said new pilot episode again. <laughs> <laughs> this is the song that never ends. <clears throat> so, uh, it's the year 2033, uh, and above Megatokyo, there is... I'm sorry, Midnight Rambler is the episode. I should probably start with that. Um, there's an artificial space island called Generos. Four women have stolen a patrol car and are using it to flee down one of Generos's linear highways. Together with one other compatriot, they plan to flee Earth where freedom awaits. Three of the women sacrifice their lives so that the remaining two, Sylvie and Henri, are able to launch a shuttle and head for Earth. But thanks to a pursuing Doberman, a boomer designed for space combat, the shuttle is damaged and it crash lands near Megatokyo. The AD police dispatch Liana and Daly to the scene, uh, but the Space Development Corporation, owners of Generos, and the shuttle turn up the heat. Flint, head of the uh, Genome Corporate Research Center, and his right-hand man, the mysterious Largo, pull strings behind the scenes. They are the ringleaders, using their influence over Kaufman, the head of the SDPC. They're using the supernatural, supernational uh, space islands to build high-tech weapons, which they plan to sell to the Eastern Bloc. In fact, the brand new DD Battle Mover was stowed aboard the very shuttle in which Sylvie and Henri made their escape. And I want to pause here for a second. This is why I have eight pages of notes because this is like the first five minutes of the episode. So much is thrown at you. Because uh, whenever you're starting a new show, you have to establish the groundwork the framework for people to get into that show with. See how I didn't say NP. Sorry, go ahead. So Leon's partner, Daly. Certain that there's more to all of this than meets the eye and takes off alone for Generos. Meanwhile, reports of a killer attacking women and draining the blood from their bodies has become a hot topic of conversation in Megatokyo. After hearing the coroner's report, Leon suspects these killings may be the work of an old type of boomer whose blood circulation system is broken down. Pris finally enters the show, meeting Nini and Lena at her, after her set at Hot Legs and introduces them to her new biking buddy, Sylvie. Kaufman, fearing that Genom will uncover his involvement, hires the Night Sabers to recover the DD. Celia meets Fargo, the Night Sabers go between and accepts that commission. 
After learning of Leon's suspicion, she deduces the escapees are 33S sexeroid boomers. Yes, they're called sexeroids. Pris, unaware of this, goes touring with Sylvie. Sylvie spots the GPCC building, which may hold a data disk that contains crucial information about the artificial blood used in the 33S series. To save Henri, who was wounded in the escape from Generos, Sylvie breaks into GPCC. At the same time, Daly briefs Leon about the DD superweapon and the J1 control system. Ignoring orders, Leon goes out on patrol with a new suit. Wounded and with Boomer guards in hot pursuit, Sylvie finally activates a DD, which easily reduces the Boomer to scrap. Leon dons his suit and confronts her, but before he can do anything, she passes out. The J1 takes over, and the DD begins an ominous transformation. Without an operator in control, the J1 will cause a micro-nuclear explosion when it runs out of power. Luckily, the Nightsabers arrive in the nick of time. Sylvie awakens and realizes what's about to happen. She opens the DD and begs Pris to kill her to stop the countdown. The DD rampages, and Pris does as her friend asks. As she dies, she gives Pris the data disk to save Henri. That's episode five. And I didn't think of it. I was thinking about the time, but you're passing comments that these are new pilots. Uh, I don't know if you lingered on that very much, but you kind of mentioned it in passing. Uh, that it really feels like that. Like, like they're establishing all of these new characters. And I'm wondering, you mentioned last episode that there was originally a plan to kill Pris, and that changed. And I'm wondering if Sylvie was meant to be Pris's replacement. So from what I, I know, no. I, it wasn't supposed to be Sylvie. Okay. But I think it is the character that shows up in the next episode. Okay. Well, then we'll get to that when we get to that. But certainly... So, we'd made oh, jokes before, sorry, about it being sort of like a ripoff of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they decided to like not act like it was a copy of Blade Runner anymore, but literally have the replicants come down from the space station to run amok. I kept waiting for Roy Batty to show up. But then I looked and I think Largo, if I squint, could be like Roy Batty. Kind of, yeah. And I was waiting for one of them to have like a snake that they would do exotic dancing with. And then Decker would show up and, uh, sorry, Leon would show up and shoot her in the back because Decker was a, a coward that could never really do anything efficiently. And <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. It is a different conversation. But even then, like um, the fact that these boomers are uh, sex models, which again relates to the Blade Runner version of Pris. Um, was heavily implied that she was specifically designed to be uh, a sexual toy. So there's, I feel like the first few episodes was played more into the Terminator influence. And you're right, this is kind of going back to the, the, the Blade Runner influence. And one of my frustrations with this episode is it does something that's, American shows are, are prone to, which is we're going to introduce a character into a into a protagonist backstory, make us care about her, and then kill her off all in one episode. There was no build up to Sylvie mattering. It was just Press going, "Oh yeah, no, this has been my friend. She's been my friend all this time that you just didn't see until just now." And then it's like, "Oh no, my friend died, I, or my friend lost control. I have to kill her, and all this angst and control." And it's like. It, Yes, but also 
why wasn't this character introduced before? Why didn't we take an existing character and play off this? It was it was just arbitrarily thrown in. So the the seriously though, and like no more joking about that, but I think part of the problem comes from the fact they're all OAVs. And I know at least for me, I was looking at this as trying to be like an actual series and not a set of OAVs and mm-hmm. looking for a more, co- more cohesive lo- storyline throughout. And this almost feels like they're trying to reestablish that cohesive line by re-giving like a primary antagonist will be, re- be reoccurring and things like that since they killed those off. They killed off Mason in episode three. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to like rebuild that groundwork again, but now they're having to use new characters because our characters are more established and some of them have had character growth either on screen or assumed from how they're presenting themselves now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair. We, we divided this up in half literally just to have two halves. I mean, there was no thought, at least on my end of like why we picked the show, but in retrospect, you're right. This feels almost like a reboot or a season two or something, you know, like, like there, there's the, now what do we do with this show? Because the Henri plot line does, in fact, go on into the next episode. Because this is not quite a cliffhanger, but certainly a, you need to go save Henri. And then that's kind of the final beat. Uh, so that, that has to kind of, then that just play out into the next episode. So you're right. There's attempts to continuity, but the first four episodes were almost mini movies. Again, they were OVAs, like you say. Uh, so like the first three episodes were almost a trilogy. Of themselves and i i argued previously that you could probably edit them into a film if you wanted to uh but th- not because there's strong continuity beyond mason in the fourth episode we even argued could be kind of jammed into that because it's it's just a one-off but this is one thing that, that i guess bugged me also about this is that uh the previous episodes we're trying to kind of move away from Pris as protagonist and this puts her right back center stage which is not the matter I like Pris but you know uh, uh, other characters were getting really kind of short shrift now it's like okay everything has to kind of revolve around Pris I think some of that came from like the the fans whose love of Pris and the fact that Pris was singing all the songs because Pris was like actually a rock star which is pretty awesome Mm-hmm. But I agree is watching it as like a series for a bunch of characters. It's supposed to be more of um, an ensemble. It definitely does not work. Right. Uh, one thing that I did notice, um, which surprised me is uh, daily gets much more of a personality in this because Leon's always kind of had a sketch of a personality and uh, that personality kind of continues. But what's interesting is, I saw it once and I wasn't sure if I saw it and I saw it again. And now I'm pretty convinced daily straight up flirting with Leon in their relationship. And Leon doesn't seem phased by it. Uh, it's because at one point in this episode, Leon says, come on, let's go to bed with me. And Leon says, nah, I have a headache. <laughs> and I'm like, if it's low key bisexuality or pansexuality, I'm, I'm totally here for it. That's amazing. It, but it was it wasn't played for gags. It wasn't played as a joke. I mean, it's played as a joke, but more like an old couple who are just like, oh, I don't want to deal with it tonight. Um, <laughs> not that a guy's flirting with me. It's just, oh God, fuck it, you, you please stop, you know. <laughs> um, and it wasn't like 
stop flirting with me because it bothers me. It's just, I don't want to have sex right now. (laughs) It's a small bit, but it was so cool. Um, and again, uh, uh, when Lina and Celia start, Sylvia start talking, Lina's really into her in a, in a way that like also was like, and I don't know if I'm just trying to find it here, but it didn't seem it was subtextual. It seemed at least, especially in Leona and Daly's case, it was pretty textual. <laughs> you know, it's like, this isn't subtle. So I found that also interesting. No, that was great. And, but part of the thing is also if we're in 2033, that's projecting the future where, mm-hmm sexual boundaries that we have forced upon our society are hopefully gone. And that would be one of like the, the big benefits for it. Right. Um, but I also bring it up because I think it plays to, to your point as well is this did not feel like so much a night service episode as a AD police files episode, which was actually a spinoff that came. Um, I don't know anything about it. I've never watched it. I know it exists. Um, but this is much more about the police force than the previous four episodes were. So I wonder if, to your point, this was a kind of attempt of, are these characters strong enough to actually hold a series on their own? Uh, okay, so do we have any else? I gotta say, I, I would not watch the AD Police Files spinoff. I didn't, I didn't watch it when it existed, and if we're talking about it now, I still wouldn't watch it. It just, ah. No, I, I I have zero interest, especially now. I have zero interest in watching uh, a, a police forward show. But um, it, it again, it, it's the it felt like can we reframe this? And, and part of the the problem I think what's happening with that is that the ED police were so clearly painted as inept in the first four episodes that now it's like okay, but these two guys are maybe okay. Uh, felt weird, but then of course also uh. Leon is the cop that doesn't take orders and goes off on his own. And it, 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 it's straight up like, you know, uh, uh, every, how many American cop movies from the eighties and nineties of <laughs> if only the one lone cop could have, could ignore uh, the regulations that you actually get really get things done. You know, and it's like, eh, there, there's an uncomfortable undertone with that, but also it's just kind of dull. Careful, the Lethal Weapon fans are going to rise up and come after us. Uh, that's 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 fair, but also, Lethal Weapon's not great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anything else about this episode before I eliminate even more people? Um, I I thought to myself when we we're watching it, space vampires, but yeah, that made me that- smile because of Buck Rogers. That was the other thing is like they they they, they, they had this vampire thing and then just skip right over it and don't really do much with it. And it's just like, oh, that could have been cool. Like vampire robots. I'm like, uh, no, it's not really that. That was disappointing. The All right, my last point about the entire episode is so when she runs out of power, she explodes. Right. That very premise alone makes no sense to me. <laughs> right. It's like, by having no energy, I expend too much energy. What? <laughs> so, but... All right, that that was it. I I mean, I could argue maybe it's the if she, if she runs out of power, then she can no longer control the energy in her suit. But maybe that's a translation error. But I think it's more. I think it's probably just sloppy writing, frankly. So okay, next episode: Red Eyes. Uh, have the night sabers gone bad? The attack they launch on a genome 
warehouse certainly makes it look that way. But the voice emanating from quote-unquote Nene's suit is that of Henri, the sole surviving 33S boomer. As if that weren't unusual enough, she's communicating with the mysterious Largo, who, for reasons yet unknown, holds a serious grudge against the Nightsabers. Meanwhile, Leon isn't sleeping well. His dreams of his lopsided defeat by the DD of the Nightsabers saving him in Megatokyo from nuclear destruction and of a distressingly familiar face sitting atop one of the hard suits. A call from Daly brings him back from that nightmare, only to plunge him into another one. The Nightsabers are on a rampage. Meanwhile, Genom's executive board is bickering amongst themselves about what the Nightsabers have stolen and why. It's also revealed that Flint, head of GPC, got the axe in the wake of the DD incident. Bauer, chief of security, is now manned the spot. A call from Quincy demanding to know what progress the board has made saves him for the moment. After hearing their report, he assigns Kate Madigan, a new executive officer, the task of finding and plugging leaks in the company. Recent events have not escaped the notice of the real Night Sabers. A challenge to them to face the imposters, disguised as an advanced billing of their next attack, makes Nene in particular see red. But even she stops dead in her tracks when Pris announces she's quitting the Night Sabers. Celia, recognizing that Pris feels guilty about Sylvie's death, is nevertheless determined to change her mind. Kate Madigan is convinced that Quincy must be out of his mind to give her what amounts to be a pest control job. At the same time, Henri, the pest in question, is giving Largo information on the activities of Defense Minister Callahan, one of Genome's pet politicians. After reminding his imitation night to destroy the real McCoys, he tells an overjoyed Henri that she will finally have revenge for the death of Sylvie. At Tinsel City Bank, the AD police wait nervously for the Night Sabers, who arrive in spectacular fashion, but the imitations are also anxiously waiting, hoping the real Night Sabers will answer their challenge. Meanwhile, Celia pays a personal call on Pris and tries to convince her that Sylvie's death wasn't her fault. Nene calls, saying that the imposters have shown up on schedule and that the AD police are fighting them. With a last word of encouragement, Celia takes off to lead the Night Sabers into battle. Things are going badly as usual for the 80 police when the real Night Sabers showed up, settling the question of which side they're one once and for all. As Leon settles back to watch the makings of a good show, Daly interrupts to tell him that someone has kidnapped Callahan. Grudgingly, Leon leaves the Night Sabers to pursue Callahan's abductors, Largo and Henri, who are taking him to Genome Tower in order to, that Largo may give Quincy his demand in person. As fate would have it, Pris happens to see Henri driving the getaway car. Wondering what's going on, she decides to follow Henri and the mysterious man with her. Kate Madigan has narrowed her investigation to just one person, Henri, who has infiltrated Genome under the name of Millie Jackson. No sooner does she make this discovery than a boomer in pursuit of Callahan's abductors calls to say that he's found them. Madigan tells him to destroy the car, including the defense minister, to keep him from spilling Genome's secrets. But a bolt from the blue dispels that notion at once, surprising both Kate and Leon. Largo then uses the boomer's remains to tell Kate that he'll be bringing Callahan to them and to tell Quincy that he wants the Overmind control system in exchange. In typical fashion, Leon tries to arrest Largo, completely unaware of what he's up against until it's too late. Leon is further dumbfounded when Largo recognizes him, but it's a little opportunity for reflection, first, because Largo's trying to kill him, and second, because Prince's timely arrival presents, prevents precisely that. That same arrival also prompts Henri to remember when Pris told her about Sylvie's death, but another bolt from the sky, now clearly directed by Largo, renders the entire issue academic. As Largo and Henri speed away, Leon tells Pris obliquely that he knows that she is a Night Saber and that he cares for her. The Night Sabers, meanwhile, are literally on the brink of disaster. Celia is just about to sacrifice herself to give Nene and Lena time to escape when Mackie comes from nowhere and rescues them. Once they're safely away, he tells them that Pris's heart is missing. Largo and Henri arrive at Genome Tower. After Kate Madigan is convinced that Callahan has not given away any secrets, she ensures she cannot do so in the future by killing him. 
Largo and Quincy finally meet face to face. When Quincy asks why Largo wants the OMS, Largo replies that he wants to lead the cyber droids to a better place where he can take their rightful place as a new life form. Quincy is trying to buy Largo off, but Largo demonstrates the power behind his words. He commands the orbital lasers to destroy genome towers around the world. Even so, Largo learns to his chagrin that Quincy is not what he seems to be. As Largo and Henri are about to leave, Pris makes her entrance, telling Henri that she's come to save her. To Henri's amazement, Largo explains that Pris is one of the night sabers and that she killed Silly, Sylvie. Henri stabs Pris with a knife Largo gives her, and Pris tells Henri what really happened. Largo admits it was all a plan for him to gain control of GPCC so he could speed up production of the Hyper Boomers. He tries to kill Pris, but Henri jumps in the way and dies instead. Largo reveals his true form with the titular red eyes, and the false night sabers arrive. They quickly beat Pris down, and just as she's about to be killed, Maggie arrives with a replacement and more powerful suit for Pris. She overpowers Largo at the rest of the real lightsabers arrive. Lena uses her suit to connect with the laser satellite and turns it against Largo. As he burns, he calls out Sylvia's name, and the two of them are two of a kind. Says two of them are two of a kind. Leon shoots him, and Largo explodes as the sun rises. And holy fuck, a lot happens in this episode. And the worst part is, not only is Largo basically Wish.com Roy Batty, but also the plot of taking control satellite to shoot people with beams was taken from the first episode of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I just read a whole bunch of plot stuff. But what actually happens in this episode, right? <laughs> it's, they wrap up the Cilia, Sylvia plot line and Henri plot line. The fact that the Night Sabers stole information to rescue Henri is come out completely lost on Henri and where she thinks she, the people who saved her are actually trying to catch her sons for killing Sylvie. She dies again anyway. <laughs> and then the big bad that's established at the beginning of this episode is killed by the end of the episode. And it's all to create a plot for a, a yet another more powerful version of Boomers. And it's just it, a whole lot happened, but nothing actually happens. Am I alone in this? No, I, I'd never seen this episode before. Like, this is one of the ones I know I'd never seen. And the sad part is, once I stopped watching it, and the next day, I didn't remember it. I even heard you read through the entire synopsis, and right now, I still don't remember it. I watched it, like, a week ago. Nothing. I mean, the... This is Batman levels of overwrought plan so like to to make sure i understand this plan is i'm going to take boomers put them into fake night saber suits i'm going to have them commit crimes the ad police are going to fail to stop the crimes that will draw the night sabers out so that I can attack the night sabers then somehow that will allow us to take control of the corporation to make more boomers. Yeah. It's, I feel like this either so, needs more episodes or less episodes. I think what it needs is to not be a boom crisis episode. If you remove the night saber plot, like zoop out of it, it unfortunately makes more sense. Mm -hmm. Like the night sabers are extra. They're, they're fluff. It's, this is their show. We have to fit them in to this idea that we have. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and, and also, frankly, 
this entire genome executive board subplot could also be completely excised because we have the people getting axed and reassigned because of the previous episode's actions. If you call that stuff out, nothing really changes. I can say, though, unequivocally, that this episode has infinitely better voice acting than Southern Cross. <laughs> That's a very low bar. It's a very low bar. Um, so I don't know. It's it's I'm disappointed that this is kind of how the show became. And mm-hmm. but sorry, I'm I'm rambling now, like it's so so frustrating. Think about if you were buying the OAVs as they came out like mm-hmm. back then and you're paying about 70 bucks of then money yeah, to buy each one of these to watch it and this is what you get. And you're waiting several months between them. And, 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 and I think probably even the worst part of all of this is I can't even remember any of the songs from this episode. I think this is when they were in their sort of their contract issues with... Um, I don't remember her name, but I think she got on a different contract. And so she couldn't sing the songs anymore for them without mm. them paying more money. They didn't want to pay more money. So they started trying to like get other songs and the music gets progressively worse. If I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then let's go on to double vision. Uh, this is uh, March 2033. Um, as a note, uh, I, there, I did try to actually, research the timeline of all of this at one point and that rabbit hole just frustrated me because this episode gives time stamps as part of the plot and i tried to make a reconcile with other episodes and i just gave up it it, it doesn't work so uh, uh as far as i can tell officially the in past six episodes happened in the course of three months which makes <laughs> no goddamn sense uh but uh, anyhow so on March 26th, Yamada, a genome executive, successfully collude, concludes contract negotiations with the Gulf of Bradley Corporation of Houston, Texas, to jointly create a new type of boomer. Shortly thereafter, a large crab-like mecha kills all the signatories to the contract, save one, Dr. Richard McLaren, intended head of the project. June 8th, Vision, a popular and mysterious American rock star, comes out of a self-imposed retirement to start a new world tour, kicking off in Megatokyo. Watching Vision's press conference, Lena has an unsettling, unsettling feeling of deja vu. June 9th, in a darkened where, waterfront warehouse, a, man, a team of men led by a cow prepare the GD-42, the same mecha that attacked Gulf and Bradley in March for a midnight run. Elsewhere, Vision, known to Cow and his men as Rika, watches a video disc letter from her little sister to tell of her impending wedding. This good news does not make Vision very happy, however. Later that evening, as Dr. McLaren is checking out the new boomer's progress, Rika and Kao attacked the genome lab, but are forced to retreat when Rika refuses to kill a worker who gets in their way. June 10th, a panicky McLaren tells Quincy that the mecha which attacked the night before is the same one who attacked Gulf and Bradley in March. When McLaren tries to leave, Quincy insisted he remain until testing is complete. He also speculates on who might be behind both attacks. Meanwhile, the AD police are investigating the crime scene despite resistance from the victims of the attack. Leon suspects a stone wall in his attempt to conceal a new kind of boomer. That evening, Celia meets Fargo at an amusement park and takes the job of bodyguarding Mr. McLaren despite personal misgivings. Uh, as a side note, um, he gives the fake name of Harry Lyme, which is actually a reference to uh, The Third Man, which is a, a great film noir. Uh, so the references don't come from just two movies. They've actually referenced the third American film now. 
Uh, June 11th, after getting a gut full of Leon over being told to drop the investigation, the chief puts him and Daly on paid leave, telling him officially not to engage in any work. A co-worker of Nanny's brings her tickets to the Vision concert, June 12th. Leon and Daly check out the new genome artificial island in Tokyo Bay and catch Quincy himself on an inspection tour. Afterwards, they head to the St. Regis Hotel, where McLaren is taking his R&R under the watchful eyes of the Night Sabers. Daly tells Leon that the island is a combination construction and testing ground for boomers. Kyle's men intercept McLaren's order for a call girl that night and sends him Rika, who calls herself Irene, probably a reference to Irene Adler. While McLaren waits, Leon explains that the mysterious mecca was built by a Chang conglomerate and that the death of Chairman Chang's son and daughter-in-law, apparently the hands of Golf and Bradley, would make an excellent motive for revenge if it hadn't happened 15 years ago. Rika drugs McLaren, making it look like a heart attack, and her men, disguised as ambulance sentence, spirit him away. Chris pursues Lloyd to run afoul of the GD-42. Rika, meanwhile, gives McLaren's bodyguard the slip, but fails to elude Lena, who follows her all the way to the grave of Irene Chang. One of the Rika's one of Rika's men captured Lena just as she's about to report in. When Lena confronts Rika about the knowledge that Rika is both Irene's older sister and also the mysterious vision, Rika explains that Irene's death drove her to vengeance. Having killed the chairman of Gulf and Bradley for the death of her parents, she now intends to kill Quincy for the death of Irene. Once she has done so, she will quit singing and take over the leadership of the Ho Bang, the secret society her family heads. Lena's efforts to dissuade her are to no avail. June 13th. Carl arranges to meet with Quincy the next day to discuss the return of McLaren. Leon blackmails Nene into tracking down data related to the case, something she's already doing for Celia. June 14th, the day of Vision's opening concert. Pris cuts her off, cuts off her cast and heads to the waterfront. There she finds and rescues Lena. Nene has run to a brick wall trying to get information on Irene until her friend's chance intervention literally spells out the magic word. At the same time, Quincy heads to the appointed rendezvous with Vision, and as she as he denies any involvement with killing Irene, Co shoots him. Lena shows up too late to stop him, and Quincy reveals that he's a boomer as a much larger boomer exits the helicopter and attacks. Leon and Daly are stuck in traffic while Nanny explains the story to them. Quincy reveals that the buildings in the meeting place are full of traps. Lena helps Vision to capture the large boomer before setting up the G24 to self-destruct, or 42 to self-destruct. Vision is trapped, and Lena helps her escape just as the mecha explodes. Vision is so obsessed with revenge, and Lena calls her out on it, swapping Vision's Hobang ring with Irene's engagement ring. Leon and Daly arrive, and Co. offers himself up for arrest for kidnapping McLaren. However, Daly arrests McLaren for violations of arms trafficking laws and multiple counts of soliciting prostitutes. Leon offers to escort Vision to her concert, and she gratefully agrees. So, this is a character that was supposed to replace Press. Okay. Vision? Yeah. That makes more sense. But her backstory is overly complicated, let's say. <laughs> Um, like I'm not adverse to let's have effectively Chinese organized crime injected in this world. I, I think that makes a, that's a logical addition to this world. Um, but what role they play in this world is kind of vague. They're only there to give her motivation and it's sketchy motivation at that. Like they're not trading in boomers. They're not anti-boomer. It's just, I'm a singer, and then after I kill for revenge for my sister, then I have to go be in charge of my family's organized crime ring now. Well, this is because this is the first episode. In the following episodes, it would develop more of them. Right. Oh, sorry. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, and that's that's a fair point. Um, And poor Nene, I mean, 
At first, I was like, oh, it's a nanny-centric episode. She frankly deeds an episode to focus on, and oh, actually, she's just a plot device. She's just there to frankly be an idiot. Um, although she then looks very intelligent compared to Leon. Which does <laughs> not do the AD. That is a low bar. Pairs. Right. Like that one episode where it's like, hey, maybe they police are effective. No, never mind. They're, they're going to be stuck in traffic while the actual crime goes down. So um, I will say, though, it would have been interesting if they had killed Press and Vision had actually sort of taken Press's slot mm-hmm. just because that would have shaken up things so much. But then I think about from how they built the character, it would have she would have likely just fallen directly into like the Press role with no changes, really, other than the singing actress and tangential ties to a crime family that would probably not show up again or be relevant to any of the plots. Right. Like I could see an arc where it's the, um, uh, only re- I, I, my family wants me to come kind of like a Rasha Ghoul thing, right? Where it's like my family wants me to come, but we have to, I have to be secreted away and I can't interact with the world again. And I have chosen to rebuff that. And so now they're coming after me, League of Assassin style. That could be interesting if they had gone that route. And I feel like maybe something that was being set up um, because it seems like if Irene was a relevant portion of that, shouldn't they also be seeking revenge? So the fact that there's this entire organization that she has control, essentially control of, and she's not using them to get revenge seems weird. So like, what do these people actually do? Yeah. But, the other thing you know, I think I'm go sorry, go ahead. Yours is going to be more relevant. I, I was just going to say that this, again, I hadn't thought about the time, but really reinforces the, here's yet another show starting, right? It's the, okay, the AD police file spinoff didn't work. The genome office politics plot didn't work. So let's try, you know, introduce a, a fifth woman into the cast and see if that works. And it doesn't. <laughs> um. Curiously, though, the, the one thing that I did notice about all these episodes I was watching is that it feels as if the Night Saber's awesome tech suits went from like a 10 to a 5. Yeah. Power from how much they constantly got damaged. They got like nearly destroyed. They kept talking about bringing like the, the super suits online. Mm-hmm. And that goes almost against the very spirit of, I'm going to say the first season now, the first season where they had the super advanced tech by decades that gave them like the edge that Mm -hmm. really sort of made it work. And that's why like all the characters were so dedicated. It was cool to see them when they suited up and they became part of the thing. And the other part of it was the almost Holmesian investigation part that Pris did. Mm -hmm. And to have lost both of those elements in the last, in the back, back half hurts. Also, um, in the first few episodes, uh, boomers were, they weren't a secret because obviously there was an open division of the police dedicated to hunting them down, but the police had to investigate to find boomers. Now you can't throw a rock in the head of fucking boomer in this show. <laughs> and each episode, it's a new and better kind of boomer. Uh, and it's like, we don't, we don't see older models hanging around. We don't see like uh, just like a normal boomer. It's always like a, a mega boomer, a super mega boomer. Uh, and I get some of this is just kind of anime tropes, right? Like here's the next toy that you have to buy, even though there's no toys being sold for this, but it's the same structure. 
but you're absolutely right. Like, would you would you buy a boomer toy? I mean, maybe if it had like you know where you like like rip the face off and see the robot underneath. I might I might get that. I think you'd buy the model that you could build. I mean, just like an honest to god toy that's already assembled. Oh, maybe not. Say, but I mean, more to your point. Last episode, they introduced the upgraded Pris suit. They, the whole one of the plot points that I glossed over because there was so fucking much was that <laughs> new suits were being developed. They actually had a whole uh, a, a plot about that, um, and it was just kind of eh, um, kind of glossed over. And it's like, yeah, yeah, new suits, but they're already outdated. Which they really sold how the the night saber suits were unique. Nobody had seen them before, but now we already have people making copies of them. And which, like, visually copying them is fine. They're, you know, they're 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 popular enough. People have taken pictures of them, but the, these appeared to have been authentic replicas of the suits. And they're just the 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 arms race happens very quickly. So, a them. side tangent. Do mm-hmm. we know when Marvel Comics Iron Man's like um, Armor Wars were? Because uh, you saying that makes those. me think. Uh-huh. It makes me think they might have been reading Iron Man comics and go, ooh, that's a good idea. And then they uh-huh. sort of implement that, which Armor Wars was not a good idea in the comics either. I said it. Find me on Twitter. So, so, oh, okay. I am going to defend Armor Wars very slightly because um, actually Armor Wars – was like right when I was reading Iron Man in the, the mid eighties. That's why I know it predates this. Um, at the time, I really loved the idea of it. I had I actually got a um, uh, what they called Epic Collections, where they could buy they had like 16, 18 issues and put them all in one volume, and I had all of the Armor Wars run. And reading it as, as a stretch, it's like this is really dull because it's the same thing. Tony Stark finds an armored hero or villain, realizes they have his tech, and goes through and deals with them. And that's just that same remember, thing over and over again. Do you remember reading when he went after the captain and shocked him? Yes, I do, actually. I, I um, read that. I've read the Armor Wars once, and I have a vivid memory of it. That is what my brain space has been used on, comic books. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that was after um, Steve Rogers had told the U.S. government that he was done. And they said, cool, but we, we own the IP to your suit, so you have to hand that over, which is just peak capitalism right there. Uh, but no, um, I know I have since learned that part of the reason why I did that is because they wanted to show off all the different Iron Man suits because they were trying to make toys of the different Iron Man suits. <laughs> So that was the main reason for Armor Wars, just to try to sell more Iron Man toys. Now, I, will, I won't. I'm totally transitioning from Bullpup Crisis now because this is more interesting. Um, <laughs> I did like Firepower, though. I don't know why, but me as a little kid, I loved Firepower, like the big missile on. Oh on yeah, back. <laughs> it was that like was... it was like the eighty, the, the most nineties of suits before the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. All right, sorry. Uh, but then also there was Stingray, and Stingray was just lame. I'm sorry. What? You don't want your armored suit to just be so you can swim underwater and shock people? Come on. I'm just saying, Namor exists. You don't need Stingray. So when I run face rip games, I like to break out Stingray and have him fight the PCs in the first adventure or two. Stingray is the stilt man. Of underwater characters. Yeah, that, that's why, because I don't want to break out Still Man, because everyone knows him. But Stingray is a little bit more obscure, and he still goes down just like Still Man. 
Uh, I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get through the last one. Scoop Chase. Do we, we have to? nothing else to talk about the previous episode? Because I'm assuming you don't, because we're talking about Stingray. Do we have to? It, yeah, real quick. I, I, I turned it off, and then I turned it back on. <laughs> Not because I didn't know it was the right episode, but because it was that bad. I'll, we'll get through this, I promise. Uh, so, um, Nightsaber seems to have things in hand for once. Uh, but uh, Pris catches a girl photographing her in action and trashes her camera. It turns out the girl is actually Nene's, niece of Nene's boss. Uh, and so it uh, turns out that this is a girl named Lisa is actually hanging around the AD police over her winter break from high school. And Nene's been given the job of keeping an eye on her. But she is trying. Lisa's trying to be a reporter, and her intention is to expose the identities of the Night Sabers. And... To be honest, that's pretty much the episode. Uh, is she's gonna try? Uh, uh, she actually gets a picture of uh, that. They, they get in a fight. Lisa takes a picture of Nene in her suit. The her face plate cracks, even though they have never cracked previously. Any other previous episode, she managed to get a stray shot of Nene as a lightsaber. Kind of holds it over Nene's head um, while uh, Nene is also having to deal with uh, uh, all work problems. Um, uh, uh, Miriam is a different character, basically tries to target the AD police headquarters to try to bring Nene's sabers running. Uh, turns out actually Nene's inside, so she has to try to get her suit. And then the other night sabers come and they take down a boomer with a pistol and Nene has to actually shut down the system in her suit and Lisa sees her in the suit and then decides that actually she's going to give up the investigation. And that's the whole episode. It's... Uh, I want to point out that Eddie still has like three more pages of notes about this episode that he just skimmed over for folks. I I just did because I did document it and I realized as I was starting to read it that like none of this matters. Um, Because I mean, I'm skipping over stuff like uh, there are a bunch of fat jokes made about Nene, which is just awful. Um, And of course, Nene then tries to console herself by eating cake um, because stress eating is a real thing. Uh, and it's, it, 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 it's a lighthearted episode, which is a really rough to end this show on. Granted, we've already talked about this was not meant to be the final episode. Um, B plays with some really problematic tropes of not only, uh, how women are objectified by other women, but also how, uh, female reporters are often treated in the media. Um, that that women aren't actually valid investigative reporters unless they're being manipulative and sneaky. And it just, this whole episode just like, like, like you got bored with it. I just got mad at it, frankly, because it was, I have grown to really like, the potential for Nene as a character and the show has consistently treated her terribly. So the one thing I will point out though, is that it was in the back of my mind and it never occurred to me until this episode is when they said Nene's last name, I went, how did I not put together that she's a black widow? Oh yeah. I hadn't thought of that either, but She's not used in that way at all. 
Oh no, Paul. but that that's that's uh, who the character is is modeled after from name and, like, and other things and like ugh. like at the very end, like her like like the the intent of the show or the end of the episode. I respect it's the, okay, let's give a nanny centric episode and show her being cool. Like that's, that's the instinct of the episode. And I wanted that to be true, but they actually tear her down more to get her to that point. Um, because, and it's done through like kind of a sitcom wackiness of like, she has to keep her identity while also trying to not alienate the boss's niece and, you know, and, and workplace sitcom stuff. Again, like to your point, now we're rebooting the show as basically a, a workplace comedy that also happens to have robots in it, which is not inherently a bad premise, but it's not the show we've been presented thus far. Although it is continuing to reinforce that 80 police are terrible at their job <clears throat> because now a boomer has attacked 80 police headquarters and they're going, well, we're screwed. And I'm like, this is literally your job to stop people from doing this. And you can't even do it in your own headquarters. <laughs> yeah. So, although wasn't there, I'm, I'm totally going to tangent again. That that's how little interest I have in this show now. Um, wasn't there a show in the 2000s that was about two female cops that I almost felt could come out of this ep- this this series, like this episode, Dirty Pair? Um, no, no, they were like it was like on Earth in like the 2000s or whatever, and they had like this. Little little cop car they drove around in. I saw like an episode or two of it, so that's why I remember it. But I don't remember the name or enough details to give you anything useful. Oh, that's gonna. You're under me. arrest. Maybe, maybe I'd have to Google it later. I, I won't. I will not Google it in the middle of the show. That is how much respect I have for you, listeners. I may talk about other topics this the show we're here to talk about. I totally am, but I mean, I will not Google. I, I'm. I. I. I, I I mean, if, if I had to, it's probably you're under arrest. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, I honestly was thinking Dirty Pair uh, because it's the same kind of, or maybe even um, the two female characters in uh, Trigon. Uh, um, even though they're insurance investigators, it's the same kind of I know dynamic. I know it's not Trigon because I've never seen Trigon. I've seen. Like- I know, yeah, it's not Trigon. You would know Trigon. I mean, it's not that. But I mean, the thing is that there's this kind of archetype of um uh uh two women in places of authority where one is kind of meek and overwhelmed and the other one is competent but aggressive then that, that's, that's uh, an archetype as well at least a dynamic archetype um but it's i don't know it, this season this whole season of doing the mecha anime has been bugging me because each time it's like, we're talking about this show and I remember being great. And then like we start off going, this is great. And then as we get through, it's like, Oh, maybe it's not the greatest. I remember. And this has happened three times now. Well, to be fair, I went Voltron classic. I knew it was going to be bad going in. So at least that one I was prepared for. Then I will ask you this one here. My question is, do we want to keep going with this or do we want to jump to a different one? Like a total different subject. Well, no, I mean, I want to keep doing this because um, one thing I am finding as we go through this is that I'm starting to get a better sense of what I like about this genre. And really our our goal with this is to kind of talk about a genre we like and and pull out the stuff we like about it. Uh, And in Robotech, 
it wasn't that we we liked good chunks of it. We liked you know, two thirds of it, frankly. Uh, with Voltron, we recognize that this is something that was important, but in distance maybe hasn't aged well. Um, with this, it's the we all recognize that the first few episodes are really really strong. Like, I mean, if Bubblegum, we, we I mean the fact that it was canceled early is is at the time I was like, oh my god, they should add more. But now it's like, frankly, if it only been the first three episodes, I think it would be amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where I think it got popular and then they made more and it's like, oh, it's not so great. And then it kind of tailed off. Um, definitely don't want to do Crash now as a result of this. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think- know some stuff we have coming up. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going in knowing exactly what it is, right? Uh, uh, I went in with some of these other things purely from nostalgia and not rewatching this. Some stuff we're looking at later doing, I have rewatched recently. It's like, okay, I think this is still good. But also I am coming in with certain perspective on it. And so for me, I haven't rewatched any anime recently since Mm -hmm. really I moved to this area. Um, Once I left like Alabama, that was my, my primary anime fix source. And then I moved into the rest of the world. And while it's readily available now, I have a lot less time. Mm -hmm. And so I have fond memories of a lot of shows from when I watched them mm-hmm. and now looking at them with a more critical lens, because even if we're just here talking about the shows, there's more of a critical take that we go for when, when we would discuss them. Just not like that was whiz bag. Awesome. Or right. boo. Mm-hmm. It's right. like the character did X. The character didn't develop because of Y. I would have liked to have seen X and Z equal a B and that's not happening. So it's, it's harder. And for these last four episodes, given that they were all longer and they were mm-hmm. all just bad, mm. that, that hurt a lot. Like usually even in Southern, even with a uh, Southern cross who is like our punching bag, Southern cross had some good moments in it. I, I won't lie. It had some good moments and it made me <laughs> care enough that, that I'd watch an extra go. All right, all right. All right. That's bad. That's bad. Oh, that's good. Look at mm-hmm. that. And this, there was nothing like, for me, nuts. Like, why is that suit breaking? Why can't the suits do that? Why is Pris having her visor up? She's never had her visor up before, and they did that. That camera has some amazing range on it. I am impressed. I want mm-hmm. that camera for my personal collection. But nothing. I think, I mean, again, um, with uh, Voltron, for example, Clancy Voltron, we came in going, okay, this is going to be fun because it's, it's, I know it hasn't aged well, and we had fun kind of tearing it apart. With the um, newer Voltron, the, again, there were some good parts I think we both liked in it, even though it wasn't quite where we wanted it to be. I think this is one where it's so clearly a show of two halves, and we haven't really run into that previously. We've always been to find some good and some bad in everything, uh, and this is one where it's like it's, it, the quality drop is pretty significant. Uh, but um, I, I think we, I'd like to, to keep going. Uh, we, we have a little bit more to go. Uh, I'd like to see where things end up. And then if when we get to the end and we're like, okay, this wasn't great, we can, we can reassess. But I feel like there's – damn it, I that's just the, love that's the, gla- that's the I'd like a hamburger today and I'll gladly pay you Thursday for it. Approach that you're trying to sell me on. 
Well, I, I mean, point that out. That, 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 okay, the fair point, but um, uh, I, I, there's just something cool about giant robots, and and I, my, my love of that has not diminished through doing this. My nostalgic fondness for certain shows has certainly dimmed. But I would argue that that's gonna happen when you critically analyze anything from well, anything period, but also specifically anything that's been several decades away. Uh, so I think that that's going to continue. But we are looking at stuff that's coming closer to the modern day. So I'll be curious to see if those match up because right now we haven't broken ninety five yet. So the other thing that I, I didn't even bring up because well, there was so much bad stuff, uh, uh, the trope about the police chief or any of that stuff, because right. it should be obvious to people, but like that topped on top of everything else. Brr. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to stop. I, I put it out there somewhat as a joke and somewhat as a, I don't know, a beacon of hope. Ah, but to, to do one of the things that I love. So, You've got these four episodes of Bubblegum Crisis. And the first four, like the greatest things people seen, they're buying them like hotcakes. You've got like a rock star singing who you're hitting some contract negotiation problems with. Mm-hmm. How would you fix the last four episodes? That's our game uh, today. Um, f- frankly, <laughs> frankly, I mean, you need to scrap them to start over. Uh, there, there's... You need so I mean the, the 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 first four episodes set up a certain premise. There's this corporation named Genob that are making these things that are a problem, and the police are not effective at doing it, and these night sabers need to be the people to do it. So you need to double down on that. Um, like have an episode where Leon breaks away from the police because they're ineffective and he dies, and so the AD police are just completely, you know. The only ally in the AD police is gone. Um, Nene gets fired as a result of this, something like that. So she's now on the outs. Uh, give Lena something to do, frankly. Um, you, but you need to kind of keep ramping down. Like, like have Pris threatening to quit the um, lightsabers and have it stick for an episode or two. Uh, show the them being beaten down by the fact that this corporation just has way too many resources that they can't four women can't possibly do it all. Uh, and then have them slowly claw back from that. I think that would be a much better way of having this progress instead of just this kind of weird mishmash of episodic situations and through lines that kind of don't go anywhere. They're kind of crammed in at the last moments. And it, it felt like it, it was trying to do so much at once that it ended up doing nothing. It's like, so go back to the basics, stick with what you know, follow that through, increase the stakes. It's, it's basic script writing. Okay. But there was a cool role-playing game that came out of it, so there's that. Two, actually. Three, if you count the 80 Police book, which I don't. I don't remember one. But... There is a Bubblegum Crash, Bubblegum Crisis, and then one oh. an 80 Police book. I only know there's two because they're both on my shelf right now. <laughs> That's fair. And you write the 80 Police book also exists so assuming we're continuing with this um what do you want to talk about next week the armor wars so we can go back we can <laughs> read them and we have a, what they're giant they're giant robot mechas 
I do own I do own that as a comics I've talked about. As that would break our season now. Um we're gonna talk about Mobile Suit Gundam, the zero eighth MS team, which I have never seen before. So this is all gonna be totally new to me. I have no childhood <laughs> memories to latch on to. And we're gonna watch it subbed, um, subtitled. And we're gonna mm-hmm. go with episode one, War for Two, Episode Four, The Demon Overhead, Episode Eight, Duty and Ideas, Episodes Ten and Eleven, which are the um Sundering Mountain. And episode twelve, last resort. Awesome, and, and Mobile of Gundam is kind of the other big mecha franchise we haven't touched yet. So I'm, I'm excited to see kind of where that goes because I also have never seen any of this. And before we really close up, close out, I want to take a moment to thank the fan that reached out for us to try to do BattleTech, and uh, we appreciate the the PM. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we can't find that anywhere legally available online, so we're not able to do it. If mm-hmm. folks have shows they would like us to do, please feel free to email the John Melissa Twitter account and either their Twitter account will respond, maybe one of us will respond. But we're always happy to take suggestions, feedback, if it's constructive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and and if people wanted to send you this kind of feedback, where would they find you online? You'd find me at darker underscore hue on Twitter, or you can find me in the Dark Hue Discord. Uh, you can find me also in Dark U Discord, or you can find me on Twitter as Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. And uh, thank you all for hanging out. I'm glad people are, are listening to the show and enjoying the show enough to offer suggestions. And hopefully we will continue to be entertaining, even if we're hitting some rough spots in this Dick season. So uh, until then, we will catch you all next time. Hurricane.